We want to do something a little bit fun. I got a prize for somebody. So here's the deal. When you walked in, you should have gotten your very own personalized, custom-made flip-flop. Right? And here's what I want to do. I want things to I want to, I want to, you know, make things a little bit hairy for a moment. We're going to get a little crazy for a moment. Not too crazy, all right? For those of you online, go ahead and grab some flip-flops just so you can be a part of what we're doing. But I want you to go and find the person in the room that has the other pair to your flip-flop. Whoever finds it first and does it loud and proud, you got a prize. Ready? Go! Go! Get out your seats! Get out your seats! Get out your seats! Go, 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 go! First pick! Oh, here we go! All right, we got a winner! Oh, oh, oh. Whoever gave it to me first! <laughs> oh, man! Now let me tell you, let me tell you got, why that got a little complicated for some of us. Because some of you here, you tried to cheat. Here's what you did. You grabbed your flip-flop and said, I'm right here. Right here. Right here. I have it here. Come to me. You know, it's interesting. We're in this series that we started last week in, entitled Travel Light. And in this series, what we've been learning since last week is that life really is a journey. It has ups and downs. It has, you know, uh, things that we expect and we plan for and things that we don't expect. You know, it has highs, it has lows, and it has everything in between. But what's interesting about life is that like when we go away. Anybody like to go away to travel, right? You know, you people that like to travel are weird. Right? I like to travel, but let me tell you what I mean by that. We were talking about this last week. You weird people that love to travel, when you go away to disconnect from everything, you pack up. You, I mean, you literally pack up, right? You overpack, right? It's like you have to take all this stuff with you to get away and detach. And the truth is this, that baggage is heavy. Luggage is heavy. The things that we pick up along the way in life are heavy. And one of the reasons why it gets so heavy is because we do like what we did today. We want God to come to us here I am, here's my half, and Jesus says differently. You know, the truth is that life doesn't have to be so hard, but we make it hard. Sometimes we make it hard. God wants us to travel light through life. Let me show you that from Scripture. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus starts off by saying, come to me, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest where? For your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, what we see here is that Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Come learn from me. Come be yoked with me. Come you be united with me. Become one with me. Because it's in that place that you truly find rest. See, some of us, when we think about rest, we just want to get away from problems. But you see, the thing is, if you try to get away from the surface level problems, you neglect the issues of the heart. You can't get away from those. And so God wants to deal with the heart. You know, in this invitation to a different kind of life, to a journey in life that is light. 
We have to understand the words of Jesus. And Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Now a yoke to the natural mind is heavy. A yoke is an is a apparatus that was used back in those days and in some places they may still use them today. But it, was, it would join two animals together. It was this huge wooden uh, yoke and it, it had two, you know, kind of these kind of like whatever you call them, these uh, whatever, yokes, right? <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm not a farmer, right? But you, you put one on, on, on an older animal, and then what they would do is in those days, they would put it also on the younger animal. Now, the younger animal was vibrant, was excited, was strong, right? Didn't know any better, and so the younger animal was constantly pulling and pushing and snorting and kicking and trying to just get it done to get this hard ground plowed, but the older animal would go slow and steady. And eventually what would happen with this younger ox is that it would tire out and it would slowly begin to realize that the older ox still had strength to go on. You're starting to get a picture for what Jesus is telling us here. See, life with Jesus leads us on a steady path. It's consistent. It's stable. It's actually more efficient and easier for life. And it produces rest. Rest that gives you strength to continually go on in life. I don't know about you, but when we're running and gunning, when we're running the rat race of life, isn't it true that we tire ourselves out? That life feels heavy? And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, come to me. But you see, it's up to us to come. It's up to us to leave our seats in life. To leave the place of comfort. To leave this place of superficiality. And go deeper. He invites us to come to him. To be yoked in relationship with him. Because then we can learn from him and we can ultimately find rest. But it's a rest that flourishes from deep within. And so we make it hard sometimes because, like Deacon uh, Teresa was saying, she preached my message, just so you know. We flip-flop, right? We flip-flop in life. We, we carry these with us, right? We say yes to following Jesus. We say yes to a new life. We say yes to the truth, but then we also mix in some other things, right? We flop. Now, I get it. Flip-flops are in season right now. Right? They're in season. It's hot. The truth is that they're not even expensive. Right? And if you dress them up right, you can actually make them quite fashionable. But you see, I realize that flip-flops are in season now. But here's the truth. That flip-flops are in season year-round in this world. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You can find flip-flops wherever you go all the time. Right? Why? Because it's the way of this world. Right? And the truth is this. And hey, if the shoe fits, if the flip-flop fits today, please don't wear it. Don't wear it. It's time to change it. Discard it. Get, get rid of it. But the truth is that flip-flops have even found their way into the church. It's become a way of life. It's become normalized and acceptable. It's the reason why divorce 
reigns in the church. Do you know that the church divorce rate exceeds that of the world? Right? Divorce is acceptable. Contracts in this world have fine print with clauses. Just watch those, those, uh, those commercials that give you, they promise you all this great, these great results. And then they go, and if you do this, you'll die. Right? They just kind of just slip it in there, right? We live in a world where leadership, even today in our country, says one thing but does another. Right? We have Christians that profess to believe in the truth but quickly bend it to politicize it and excuse unscriptural stances. Stances on a range of issues that defy the word of God. See, flip-flopping doesn't work. It doesn't work for the journey of life. Look, I get it. Ladies, some of you heard we're wearing flip-flops today. You're like, ooh, I'm getting my toes done, right? Make sure. Somebody asked me, Pastor, where are your flip-flops? And I said, I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Your pastor has his toes are on point. Right? I don't go get manicure or pedicures, whatever you call those things, right? But I'll tell you, my, my toes are smooth. Right? And I don't want to take any attention from Jesus away. That's why I did not wear flip-flops. Right? But my point, look, you can look cute in flip-flops for a moment. You can put them on to suit a certain occasion. You can easily access them. After all, they cost next to nothing. But the truth is that you can't go through life with them. You can't navigate through tough terrain in them. You can't climb past obstacles with them. Why? Because flipping and flopping is not suitable for the journey of life. It won't take you anywhere, especially when you're pursuing Christ. See, in our attempt to follow Christ, sometimes we flip and flop after unhealthy habits, destructive mindsets, selfish plans, unscriptural beliefs. But the truth is they won't work. Let me just make a statement for personal reflection to you. Flip-flops may currently be in season, but they are never in season for you. Let me say that again. Flip-flops may currently be in season. Everybody may flip and flop. But let me tell you something, child of God. You who are open to the word of God, you who are seeking God, you who are tired of flipping and flopping in life, here's the truth. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for you. Say that with me. It doesn't work for me. Tell somebody else, it doesn't work for you. You know, the Bible records a time, well, an encounter between Jesus and a woman. And this woman, we don't know her name, but what we do know is that she was from Samaria. She's referred to as a Samaritan woman. And this woman was worn down in life because she was flipping and flopping throughout life. Daily she frequented the same well with a heavy jar to draw enough water to quench her thirst and care for her household needs. What's interesting is that the scripture records in John chapter 4, and we're going to look at that in a moment, uh, it records that she showed up in the noonday. And that is odd because, you see, in that region, that's the hottest time of the day. And in those days, women who would be the ones that would go draw water, would go in the early morning hours in the cool of the day. Why? Because it wasn't as hot. 
And so it became more than just an opportunity to draw water. It became an opportunity to catch up, to socialize, right? To, to gossip, right? To connect. And this woman was going there at the hottest time of the day to get water, which tells us something. She didn't want to be seen. She was trying to avoid people. She was trying to avoid a social life. She was trying to avoid any connection with anyone in her day and age. And so what made it even harder for this woman, never mind everything that she was going through, is that she would go there daily with a large jar. When the Bible says that she would show up there, and we're going to read that in a second, when she would show up with a jar to get water, it's not talking about a little mason jar, those little cute ones that you have in your home. It's talking about a very large vessel. You see, this water was not only good to quench her thirst, this water also had to provide for her animals, for her agricultural needs, for her household needs. And so this was a very large jar, a very heavy jar. And on, this, on, on one of these particular days, Jesus meets her. And when he meets her, when he comes upon her, he asks her for a drink of water. And the scripture tells us that she found it odd, and she said as much because, after all, he was a Jew, and Samaritans and Jews never had anything to do with each other in those days because of their differences of opinion and what it, on, on how one was to worship because of their customs, because of their backgrounds, because of their lineage. And so when Jesus asked her for water, she says, you're asking me for water? Shouldn't be doing that. And in John chapter 4, starting at verse 10, Jesus responds to her and he says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have, had, you would have asked him and he would have given you, watch this, living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. You don't have a big heavy jar. How can you even access this water? You, after all, this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She's saying to Jesus, you don't have what it takes to get this water. In verse 12, she goes on to say, Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks this water from this well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's not momentary. It's for the remainder of your life. And this woman said to him, sir, give me this water. And he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied, and Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, they worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews, you Jews, you claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus replied to her, woman, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It's not about your religion. It's not about your norms that you standardize how you relate to God is what he's saying. He goes on to say, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23. Yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father. Listen to this. In the spirit and in truth. He's changing the game here. For they're the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah, the one called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declares to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So herein we find one of the major issues that leads to life becoming burdensome, to growing weary. We desire to live without our jars. We desire to let go of our burdens. But we also don't know how to let them go and we continue to carry the very things that weigh us down. Let me ask you a question for personal reflection. Be honest with yourself. And if you're here with someone that you brought or someone that you know, please don't be that person that goes, I told you you needed to be here today. <laughs> no. It's the reason why you're here today. It's the reason why you're joining us online today. Listen, I want you to ask yourself this question and be honest with yourself. Does life feel heavy? Do you feel burdened? Are you weary? Do you stress often? Do you worry often? Do you obsess about the future and try to control the future by messing up the present? See, if that's where you find yourself, my friend, let me submit to you that you are not traveling light. You're traveling quite heavy. And we're no different than this woman. Because you see, we're trying to carry the very things that burden us. And from the text we see that this woman, she held to the hope of one day seeing the promised Messiah. She believed that the Christ was to come. She was a worshiper of God. It may have been different from Jews. They may have disagreed. She may have had some things going on wrong. But she was seeking and awaiting the coming of the Christ. But simultaneously, she also wanted to carry on in a relationship that gave the appearance of marriage but wasn't a marriage. Right? She wanted to quench her thirst and never have to carry her jar again, but she held on to her jar even if it never satisfied her while she's talking to Jesus. She's saying, give me this, this living water, but she's holding on to her jar. She listened to Jesus as a prophet. She perceived him as a prophet, but she did not receive from him as Lord. Not up until this point. You're going to see it changes in a minute. She wanted to go about her life but wanted to hide her life from those among her at the same time because of her shame. See, flipping and flopping doesn't work. Flip-flops don't work. It reminds me of a story I heard a while back. Um, uh, you know, if you think about technology, one of the most revolutionary um, keys to technology that has ever been invented is the computer. It's a desktop computer. Now, I know some of you go, no, it's an iPhone. Some of you go, no, it's a Samsung. Right? For those of you that have Samsungs, glad you have a J phone. Right? It, it works. You know, it has a use. No, let me stop. <laughs> let me stop. 
iPad, Pastor. But the computer, it didn't just change the way we relate. It changed the lives of people, right? And it wasn't until recently that this happened. Just three generations ago, the chairman of IBM declared that, this, that there was no need, there was no market for computers in the homes of people in this world, right? As recently as 1977, the president of a company called Digital Equipment, which no longer exists for obvious reasons, claimed that there is no reason why anyone would want a computer in their home. And so this revolution with computers was brought to us in large part by a guy named Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computers. And Steve Jobs was just 21 years old when he and his partner, a guy named Steve Wozniak, invented the Apple computer. And until then, computers were a monstrous mass of vacuum tubes which took whole rooms. Then the two Steves managed to take that mass of tubes and incorporate them into a concise small box, small enough to sit on a person's desk. They called it a desktop. Now, Steve Jobs and his partner, Steve Wozniak, offered their invention to Atari. Anybody remember Atari? Yes. Right? ColecoVision? Oh, yeah. Right? Some of you are like, sorry, Pastor. have no idea. What I get it. it I'm, I'm telling on my age now, right? But they offered it to Atari, and Atari wasn't interested in big bucks. They weren't interested in the offer that this will revolutionize the world. All they wanted was to continue doing what they did. And Steve, both Steves, they weren't interested in making money either. They just wanted to uh, do something that would change the world. And Atari told them, no thanks. And so they offered it to Hewlett Packard, but Hewlett Packard knocked them back as well. And so it seemed that, uh, that Jobs and Wozniak alone could see the possibilities. Nobody saw what they saw. And so the, the way the, uh, uh, his life story goes, Steve Jobs sells his Volkswagen, and this guy Wozniak had some really cool type of calculator back in those days, and they sold it. And they get $1,300, and they put it together, and they start what was known as Apple Computers. Right? Now, the company was named Apple in memory of a summer where Steve Jobs worked in an orchard farm somewhere, and there's a, a, a moment in his life but you see, when they started this company, the rest was history. By all accounts, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak were visionaries. They saw something that nobody else could. But no matter how big their vision was, there was no one that saw it. And so they realized, we need someone that can give us the leadership and the credibility to bring this to the market. Someone that is experienced in dealing with the market and can persuasively give credibility to what we see. And so they approached a guy named John Scully, who at the time was the president of the Pepsi company. And when they approached him with their idea, he goes, no thanks. I mean, after all, why would he leave such a high-paying job with one of the largest companies in all the world? But Steve Jobs adamantly continued to press him with the request, making him an offer. And John Scully continued to rebut him and say, no thanks. Well, one day, Steve Jobs was doing his usual presentation, sitting with John Scully, and he asked him a question that would revolutionize his life and use Apple computers to touch and change the world. Steve Jobs asked him, do you want to spend the rest of your life 
selling sugared water, or do you want a chance to change the world? I'll tell you why I share that with you. Because Jesus comes to us with the same question. Do you want to keep selling others and yourself sugared water? You want to keep sipping on that sugared water? Or do you want to know true and real life? See, when we flip-flop, we're not fooling anyone but ourselves. And if we're going to travel light on this journey of life and truly live from a place of rest in the soul, in our deepest parts, we have to stop fooling ourselves. We have to stop selling sugar water and sipping on it at the same time. That makes sense? And so what I love about this Samaritan woman is that despite her flip-flops, Jesus was unmoved by it. I mean, he wasn't surprised by it. He wasn't taken aback by it. As a matter of fact, he moved toward her. He pursued her. We're not going to read this, but in John chapter 4, I encourage you to check it out in your own time. In verse 4, it tells us that when Jesus left Judea and on his way to Galilee, that he had to go through Samaria. Now, if you map this out on a map from those days, Samaria was, was on the way. But the town that she was in, a place called Sychar, was not. Which tells us something very important. Jesus was intent upon meeting her. He had an appointment with her. He had to meet this woman. My friend, you might think someone invited you. You might think that you just happened to come across this online. You might think that somebody just sent you a link, but I am telling you that the God of all the universe, God Almighty, God Most High, has a divine appointment with you, and he is pursuing you. This woman may have been hiding from the world, but the scripture tells us that Jesus came into the world, and he came to find her too. She may have been living a double life to hide her shame, but Jesus didn't shame her. Why? Because he inscribed upon the pages of eternity a divine appointment to meet her and set her free of her shame. John 3.17 tells us the heart of God. He says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Amen. See, it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's not the condemnation of men. Right? She may have been, she may have been bound in a web of burdens and mistakes that she weaved. She may have been stuck. But Jesus showed up to set her free indeed. You see, Jesus sought her because he knew what would happen. Jesus seeks us because he knows what's possible. See, once she realized who he was, the scripture goes on to tell us that she put down her jar. You got to understand something. Water is life. Water is life. She depended upon this jar daily. And she puts down her jar and instead she picks up the message that Jesus was giving her. 
The scripture tells us that she goes back and that she goes all around Samaria declaring, I met a man today who told me all things in my life. Could it be that this is the promised Messiah? And she begins to speak to the people about Jesus. And the scripture gives us evidence that all Samaria gets riled up and they go out pursuing Jesus and they say, don't leave us. Stay here with us. And Jesus does the unthinkable. He stays with the very people that were known to reject him as a Jew. He goes where he was not wanted, where he was despised, where he was overlooked, where he was discarded. He goes there. Sound familiar? He goes there. And the scripture tells us that Many came to follow him because they believed in him as the Christ. You see, this woman's life was transformed when she set her jar down and she picked up on the heart of God. Her life changed and she spurred change in others throughout all Samaria. Why? Because she yoked herself to Jesus. But to yoke herself to Jesus, she had to unyoke herself from her jar and her burdens and her lies. So there's something that we learn here for application. It's that you must let go of the life you planned so you can have the life God purposed. Let me say that again. You must let go of the life you planned so that you can have the life that God purposed. This woman came to Jesus with her hands clenched tightly to her plan. How do we know this? Because even though Jesus rightly spoke to the reality of her circumstances with the intent of getting to the core of her heart, this woman changed the subject. She quickly went CIA mode. What do I mean by that? Christianese in action. Right? She got super religious. And she says, oh, I believe in the Christ. And I know that when he comes, he's going to tell us all things. See, she deflected. She changed the subject. And the, the question that we should ponder is, why would she do that? But more importantly, why do we do that? Why do we do that? And Proverbs 19.21 tells us about plans and purposes. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart. It's important to understand that this word plan here in the Hebrew reveals that it really speaks to an invention of the imagination. And according to the Hebrew, it's the principal device by which we attempt to construct our lives. It's the map that we draw. It's the picture that we devise. It's the plans that we jot down and we say, this is what I am going to do. This is how it's all going to work. But what we see here is, according to the scripture, that the plans, many are the plans in a, purpose, in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. And see, the purposes of God are different from the plans that we make. See, the purposes here, the word purpose here, speaks of a counsel which gives you exact details so that you can employ wisdom. But not just any wisdom, so that you can do what God says He's destined you to. So let me ask you a question. Do you want your plans which are limited? Or do you want God's purposes which are limitless? Let me ask you this question. How's your plan been working? 
Everything you set out, everything you planned, everything that you, 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 you conceived in your heart and how you saw it and how it's supposed to work and what you thought this marriage was going to be and how you thought this career was going to go and every plan that you have for your finances and your life and your home and your friends and your social life, everything that entails life, that plan that you conceived, that you drew up, that you imagined and you're striving and struggling and running a rat race to fulfill, how's that one working? I submit to you it's not. Why? Because our plans don't work if they lack God's purposes. The only thing that will stand and remain, that is true and firm, that you can depend on, is the purposes of God. Let me give you a portion of scripture from the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 24. He says, everyone, that, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, See, it's hearing and doing. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock, a firm foundation. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Why is he foolish? Because he built his house on sand, believing that it could stand. Verse 27, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You know what I find interesting? That the rain, the floods, and the wind comes for both the person who's on a solid ground and the person who's not on solid ground. They come for the person who knows the truth and does what the truth dictates. And they come for the person who does not want the truth or does not know the truth and has their own plan. Either way, here's one thing that we know from the words of Jesus. In this life, you will have tribulations. The winds will blow. The rains will come. The floods will overtake. They will, they will overwhelm at times. But the one that stands is the one that remains firm on the truth that God declares that says this is the truth. This is the way, the truth, and the life for my life. This is the only recourse that I have. There is no plan B. God is my only plan A. Is there anyone in the house, anyone online today that can give God praise and say, God, you've been faithful to me. Your plan, your purposes are better than my plans. The second point that we see for application here is that God can't help who you pretend to be. Let me say that again. God can't help who we pretend to be. You know, life gets heavy when we live life by plain pretend. When we pretend, you know what we're doing? When we live by facades and masks, we assume the responsibility for a life that we cannot sustain. You can't keep that up long enough. At some point, it begins to crumble. And this woman was pretending before Jesus. And she was worn out, and it was wearing her out. She was tired, she was lonely, she was burdened, she was, and she was hiding. She was hiding her hurt, she was hiding her shame, she was hiding her mistakes under the guise of one seeking and waiting for God's promised Savior. But I'll tell you the reality that God can't bless your mask. God can't heal your mask. God can't bring change to your mask. Why? Because it's not you. 
It's not who you really are. Notice how Jesus wisely and divinely peels the layers of her life. And he says, those that worship God, worship him in spirit and in truth. The Bible says this, that we know no man after the flesh, but after the spirit. Who you are is not what you do. Who you are is not what you tell people you do for a job, or what you built with your hands, or the home you live in, or the amount of money that you have in your bank account, or your accomplishments, or your degrees, or the accolades that people shower upon you. That is not who you are. Who you are is a person that has been made in the image of God, and the moment we begin to discover who we are in Christ, we begin to live a genuine, a true, a purpose-filled life. The moment this woman took her mask off and she realized that she was before the Messiah. Get this. If you read the rest of the story out, what you'll see is this. As I said before, she lets go of her jar. Why? Because water from a well was no longer necessary because she had discovered living water for life. What are you depending on? that takes the place of God? Is it living water? Or are you thirsting? Gasping, fighting, struggling, striving to make your way. Psalm 51:17 says this, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. When it talks about a broken spirit, it's not talking about God breaking you. In the Hebrew, here's what it's speaking about. It's speaking about an exposed and transparent spirit. It's who you really are. So what the scripture is saying here is that the offering that we bring God is no good unless it's completely genuine. It comes from who we truly are. That's how we serve God. He says a broken and a contrite heart, an exposed heart, the true person, oh God, you will not despise. See, let me just encourage you with this, my friend. Be real with God. Be real with others. Be who God created you to be. And if you don't know exactly who that is, I will tell you how you find that. The more you look to God and learn about Jesus and learn about the promises of God and learn about the ways of God and the wisdom of God, here's what it begins to do. It begins to reflect to you something that you never knew about yourself. That's the life you were purposed for. It's the true you. It's a real life. The last point that I want to leave you here as we close is this. It's that if Christ let it go, you must too. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where change and transformation and a walk with God begins. This woman had to let go. She had to let go of her shame. She had to let go of her jar. She had to let go of her plan. She had to let go of the life that she had constructed. Why? Because as long as you're holding on to what you've planned, you can't receive what God has. You can't. 
Let me tell you how great was the transformation in this woman's life. This woman was running from all Samaria, from anyone and everyone who might be able to identify her and say, oh, I know you. You on to number six now? You still trying to do this? Oh, there she goes. This woman had been running from everyone. But watch what the scripture tells us. That she went to the very people in Samaria. She went to all Samaria. She no longer carried shame. She no longer lived with guilt. She no longer worried about the mistakes she'd made. She was free. She was free indeed. She took those flip-flops off. And she started on a journey of life with Christ. It transformed her. And what I love about this is that Jesus did not hold on to her junk. And she said, well, if it's good enough for him not to hold it against me, then it's good enough for me to let it go to. In the scriptures, we have an example from the life of a man named Moses. This guy was born to be a deliverer. A great man used by God to lead the people of Israel. But you know, in his younger years, his life took a turn for what appeared to be the worst. He employed his plan instead of following God's purposes. He killed an Egyptian man defending a Jew. He thought this is the plan, and it wasn't. And he ended up running for the next 40 years of his life. Went to some mountains in a foreign place, assumed the life of a shepherd put on some sandals, some shepherd's clothes, carried a staff, and led sheep. But you see, the Bible says this, that God does not repent about his gifts and callings on our life. God is faithful to what he's called us to. We're the ones who make the mistake. And so get this, God approaches Moses and begins to speak to him, to call out to him. And what I love, and this is where I want to leave you today. In Exodus chapter 3 verse 5, as Moses approaches this burning bush and he realizes that he's having a divine encounter with the Almighty. The scripture says that God says to him, do not come any closer. He says, take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. You know what God was saying to him? Those sandals were fit for the life of pretend that you've been playing. But you're coming into a holy and divine call. You're coming to a place in life that you've never experienced. And to come here, you've got to take off those sandals. You got to let that go. And you got to let me lead you from this day forward. I want to encourage you to do something with me. Let's stand here today as we close. I believe that no word from God, no truth from the scriptures is without power. But for that power to truly work and be released into our lives, we have to do something more than just hear it. The scripture says that we are to not only be hearers of the word, but that we are to be doers of the word. 
And I want to challenge you today as we close and we leave this place and go about our lives. And get start. We're already thinking about lunch and Monday. Before you do that, I want you to take a moment, a holy moment, to consider what is God telling you to let go of? What flip-flops is he calling you to take off? I'm telling you, my friends, you've been, you may, maybe you've been wearing them for a while. And after a while, you get comfortable. You learn how to walk in them. Maybe you can even run in them. But eventually, you end up tripping up over yourself. But today's the day where you can experience something different. You can put your trust in God and discover a new life. Father, today we thank you for your word. It is truth. Yes. It is life. It's transforming power to us. And today in the hearing of your word, I thank you, Lord, that you're working in our hearts. That you're speaking to us. That you're pushing past the layers that we've set up. And you're saying, I see you right there. I see your heart. I know your desire to know me. It's okay to be real with me. It's okay to be genuine, to be transparent before me. I love you at your worst. And I believe the best in you when you don't. Yeah. It's very possible there's someone here today. Maybe you're joining us online. And you've never made a decision to put your trust in God. You've never understood what it means that Jesus sacrificed his life. I'll tell you what it is. The scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But why would he give him? I'll tell you why. Because it took mankind to mess up this life. We make mistakes all the time. So you see, we can't fix it because we're prone to error. But there is one that isn't prone to error. It's the reason why Jesus, God, the divine one, came in the form of a man to live a holy life, to prove that we can be free of the weight and the, the enslavement to sin. And then he died a death that wasn't his to die to pay a cost that wasn't his to pay. It was ours. But in doing so, he died and he rose again. Not just to prove that he's God, but my friend, to prove that you can rise today too. Today's the day of decision. Today's the day that we say, God... I'm setting down my jar and I'm lifting my hands, reaching out to you. If you believe that Jesus is Lord today and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, would you do something, whether you're here or you're online, would you raise your hands today to heaven? Would you cry out to God? Would you say, God, I need you? Would you say, God, I put my trust in you? Would you say, God, I'm letting go of my plan for your greater purposes? Come on now, today, let's pray this together as we close in, de in declaration. Say this with me. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you love me so much that you died to pay the price for my sin. And you rose again to prove that I can rise today too. And so today I declare, you are my Lord, you are my Savior, you are my God. And from this day forward, I trust you and I thank you for a new life.
Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.